why didn't why did I feel like I couldn't talk about my mother without talking about her being abused? Like why did I feel like they were so part and parcel that I couldn't talk about her and how she improved our family and supported our family and fed us and taught us and um, kept us safe and cleaned us without talking about something that had happened to her. Welcome to Perennials, a podcast about growing up, getting wise, and trying to live a good life. I'm Victoria Russell. You might remember my episode with Kai Muhammad from this past May. In that episode, Kai and I talked about her experiences as a black woman in the yoga world, both as a student and teacher, and more broadly in a society which has othered blackness for centuries. A few weeks ago, Kai called me up and said that something was missing from our last episode, and she wanted to make it right. Kai will explain this in more detail in the episode that you're about to hear. She shows us all of these layers and complexities in her story that serve as a microcosm for the bigger stories of our society. We talk about patriarchy and white supremacy and how those forces enable and support each other. We talk about the trauma inflicted by those forces on both black people and white people on personal and collective levels in our lifetimes and passed down from generations before us. We talk about how we all internalize those forces and enact them sometimes. Everything we talk about is both deeply personal and also so much bigger than any individual. Kai generously provides for us a model of what it can look like to be willing to look at where forces like patriarchy and white supremacy show up within us and around us and meet that with humility, curiosity, strength, integrity, courage, and compassion. May we all learn from Kai today and put her generous modeling to good use. Thanks for listening. Kai, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me back. Thanks for (laughs) welcoming me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I was really happy and grateful when you contacted me and said, I would like to do a follow-up conversation. And I was so curious to hear about what it was you kind of wanted to follow up on and what was on your mind, what you felt like had been left out of our first conversation. And so I was wondering if we could just start there with, can you tell people a little bit about what you felt like was missing from the conversation that we had for perennials a couple months ago? Yeah. Um, I was re-listening to that conversation and um, it was really cool and and I loved the direction and and the vibe of it. But when I and to truth be told, I re-listened to it more recently um, because I felt like I had it in my space pretty like naturally after talking with you, I felt like, okay, I know exactly what we talked about, but it was still nice to listen to it. But after I had the conversation with you a couple of months ago, I like white when I got off the got, got off the call it kind of just dawned on me a little bit that like, hmm, I didn't really share about my mom. I didn't share about my Omi, my parent, my, yeah, the woman that gave birth to me. And it it kind of just felt a little bit of a miss, a missing. Like I just felt like that's kind of a missing. And, um, and then, you know, my, I shared the podcast with my friends and my students and my siblings and parents. 
And I was kind of surprised that my mom had actually listened to it. And I was just like, great. And I was just like, oh, shit. like, great. <laughs> and so, um, and then sure enough, she called me like, you know, a week or so after and was like, I listened to the podcast. It was really nice. And I was like, really good. And I just knew it was hanging in the air. And she was just like, you didn't mention me at all. And I was like, I know, I'm so sorry. And um, I just felt kind of this like outpouring of, of, um, of what that must feel like to kind of have some level of erasure there. And then kind of in between that time and since that time, I've had like a lot of conversations with my, with my partner, Corey, and just my family, you know, people in general, my students around everything that's been happening since the racial uprisings kind of cracked open with the mod, which we talked about last time, which is kind of interesting to look back on and with George Floyd and, and Breonna Taylor. And it, it felt like there was just like a reckoning and a questioning and a, and a really deep looking inward that has been happening um, with every human that I know. And um, because I'm a black woman, it's really no different. There's like a really deep looking inward as well. And one thing that I just noticed was like, you know, why didn't I talk about my mom? And why didn't I share about her experience? I am a mom, you know, and I, I felt like there was something else to be looked at there upon having a conversation with Corey, it was like we were sitting in my office and just like talking kind of decompressing at that point I've been watching and looking at Instagram like pretty much nonstop. I mean like until three in the morning every night and then waking up and then like in between the day and posting and reposting and and I really was starting to have this feeling of like battle fatigue and just where I would have dreams about stuff and feel like I would have like weird flashbacks and forwards of of, of all the different graphics of the murders and of all of the um, information that was really being pushed to the surface. And a lot of it also framed around the white supremacist delusion, which Sonia Renee Taylor references a lot. And, um, you know, I think it's a really important idea to frame it as this white supremacist delusion because it's like, it's not just like some sort of law that exists and is real that we all can point to. It's like, it is a delusional state that we all kind of are in around it. So she was speaking a lot about that and that had my mind kind of reeling and then um, looking at the white supremacist delusion and then also unpacking that to see that it was a, a lot of the patriarchy is really what is the cornerstone of it, you know? And so that has been a really big point of focus for me because I feel like even within the black community and the BIPOC community, there's still a lot of um, dissension and fracturing around where we stand as um, a united voice around where we stand around like trans rights um, and queer rights. And, um, and that's something that I think the black community and BIPOC community is trying to figure that out and try to figure out how to be strong and in solidarity with that, but also not trying to like make everyone um, get on the same bandwagon. So with me, like I was just kind of examining my own participation in patriarchy. Um, and it's, it was really disturbing, honestly. It was really disturbing to, to look inward and find that part of the reason why I didn't share about my mom, and I, we call her Umi because that's, we grew up raised Muslim, and so we call your mother Umi, which is an Arabic word for the same meaning. And one of the reasons why I wasn't sharing about Umi was like I was trying to, I guess, inadvertently protect my dad and I've just been in that exercise all the time. And so just a little bit of context, my parents had a very tumultuous marriage. They were together for like I don't know, 25 years or something from like the 60s until the 90s. 
um, so spanning those three um, decades at least. And there was domestic violence, there was verbal abuse um, in their marriage and, and enacted mostly by my father toward direction, directed at my mom. And, you know, we were all witness to that to an extent and um, to a more subtle extent and also to a more um, like literal extent. So the exposure of that, I think I just got into the exercise of being someone who, who um, tries to be mindful of what I'm sharing people. You know, some of that I think comes from like, you know, just being a, a person of color, a, a person of color coming from a certain socioeconomic background, just not wanting to feed some sort of stereotype around like, oh, you came from a broken home from Newark, New Jersey, and you're a welfare, and all that stuff and that trope because a lot of times people kind of can't get past that and they just assign all these other things to you um, and to me. And so I think a lot of that was just me um, being really selective about who I shared that with and, and why and, and really being curious about what, how would that further any conversation to share that background. But on a, I think on a deeper level with our conversation um, and with the timing of our conversation and just what was happening political, it's like, wait, like, you're talking about your dad and you're casting your dad in this beautiful light. And like, you know, I'm getting messages from my students about like, oh, your dad seems so awesome. And we're sending him with, you know, well wishes to get better. And all that is completely valid and all that's completely true. And there was abuse and, and um, he, you know, hurt my mother and hurt us consequently. Um, and so that's not okay. And that's, that's, and I need to, um, I think still come to terms with that. And although he and I have a great relationship and um, it's not necessarily like in the foreground of our, of our relationship now, but I think there is a lot to be said for that. And I think for me, one of the most, the really the most interesting thing and the most fascinating point of, of the missing of the conversation of our first, our first interview was like, why didn't, why did I feel like I couldn't talk about my mother without talking about her, um, being abused like why did i feel like they were so part and parcel that i couldn't talk about her and how she improved our family and supported our family and fed us and taught us and um kept us safe and cleaned us without talking about something that had happened to her whereas with my dad i was able to like completely and masterfully um talk about him and his character without talking about the the more uh shadow parts of himself of him and that was interesting because it's like i just wondered like how many daughters and how many wives and sisters and um mothers spend time trying to um parse apart their son or whatever husbands or boyfriends or daughters whatever dad's personality and character from their actions and how many women get a chance to get that same benefit you know a lot of times it's like if a woman has Done anything that's considered, you know, um, sketchy or, uh, you know, not morally correct and upright in this society. She's literally, you know, in the past given the scarlet letter or, you know, literally ostracized or, or kind of moved to the to the edges of society if she gets pregnant out of wedlock or if she, you know, does this or or gets raped or gets assaulted. It's like the 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 onus is always put onto the woman, and it's like she's tarnished and her reputation is ruined. And um, whereas men have that, uh, I don't know if it's a privilege, but I think the privilege actually becomes a hindrance and a handicap, but they have that 
that privilege of doing completely screwy, you know, honestly fucked up things. And they're able to um, be a Supreme Court judge. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> it's like, it's crazy. They get crazy passes. And so I think that I was looking at that. Yeah. I, I first just want to thank you because everything that you're saying takes a lot of um, so much self-awareness, so much awareness about the world, so much integrity and courage to be really honest and also to be like, I'm willing to dive into the shadows and the depths and and shine light on those things because when we let them fester in the dark, that's when they just grow and grow and creep like vines or something that strangle us. And so I just am so genuinely appreciative of you saying, let's talk about this. Let's talk about what was missing because that's always like, honestly, my deepest hope for this show as well is to have conversations that do that, that don't just, and it's, I don't always achieve it, you know? Um, and cause it's complicated. It's hard, especially when people that you love are involved and like, how do you talk about these things that are so personal and that are so that have left wounds or scars and that have, when you don't want people to just be reduced um, by something that you share about them. A lot of what you're describing is all of this trauma that you've experienced um, on a personal level and on a collective level. And um, when you talk about like the nightmares and all of that, I just, um, just really, I want so badly for there to be some healing. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, I very much want there to be, to be healing as well. And, and on a, on a real, like, you know, psychic level. And, and, you know, I think something that one of my friends said, or someone that a teacher said years ago was like, you know, when you heal, when I heal, when Victoria heals, we're able to like affect our seven generations back and seven generations forward. And that always was like a weird idea for me back then, but it was like, you know, just kind of this explosion of positivity that can go out. Cause a lot of the times when I think about my grandparents and you know, my grandma or my mom who had nine children or my great grandparents who had 13 kids and raised them and like, and all the things they must have experienced um, in this country. And this is a very similar history that a lot of people of color has, have, you know, have experienced. But for me, when I think about how the hell did they get through that? You know what I mean? I'm just like, I have just two kids. And I mean, I have pretty much, you know, all this privilege myself. And it's like, I feel like there's so much work that I'm doing all the time. And so many things I'm trying to move forward with. And, and I was actually speaking with my therapist and and she made a great point was like, you know, a lot of the times they, um, you know, they didn't have the capacity to kind of process all the things that were happening, all the traumas that were happening in real time. It was like just enough energy to like feed your children, get them, you know what I mean? Like stay yeah. above water, like earn what you can. And like, that's why the life had to kind of how it like moved. But we kind of are in this space of like deep reflection and we have technology and internet and and all this stuff. So we are kind of the, the generation that's processing a lot of 
the psychic ills of our ancestors. And that's our, that's our white sisters and brothers too. You know what I mean? Who, um, who are processing the, the ancestry of having ancestors who held people in captivity or who participate in this and who still live off of and, and do very well on the privileges that this country has been founded on, but by, you know, by way of, of honestly, a lot of bloodshed and murder and rape. And I think, so I see even in real time, you know, you and me, like millennials and Gen Zers who are doing a lot of the, the emotional processing of what happened on this ancestral land. And so I think sometimes like if it does feel like, damn, like we're kind of left holding the bag in a way, like, yeah. okay, we got to do this, you know, it's a privilege, but it's also like, it's a, it's really, it's really, really hard. Um, and it doesn't make it easy because we, I don't necessarily have my mortality at risk every single day. It doesn't make it easier, but there's like a, a you know, my internal state can be really wrecked, you know what I mean? So there can be yeah. diabetes, there can be fibroids, there can be low high blood pressure there can be other things that can be affecting the, the internal landscape of being alive right now i was just talking to a relative of mine about inherited trauma and um i was telling her about how a therapist told me once that there was this study with mice i think which i know animal and human studies like you can't necessarily uh draw the same conclusions from an animal study that that means anything for humans. But mm -hmm. my therapist was saying that there was a study where these mice were um, given electric shocks. And at the same time they were shocked, they were exposed to the smell of cherry blossoms. Mm. And so they started to have a fear response just at the smell of cherry blossoms, even without the shock. And they found that two generations of mice after them, who were never given the shocks, still had a fear response when they smelled cherry blossoms. Wow. Um, and that there's just a lot more research now going into trauma and generational trauma and something that I feel like is just really important for white people like myself to think about mm -hmm. is that we might have like personal trauma to heal from and hopefully can like go to therapy. And if we've made, made it through um, whatever the trauma is, can work on healing by, by thinking about, by training your brain to understand that that threat is over and you're not in that situation anymore. And your body doesn't have to respond as if it's still in that situation. And I think about for black people and people of color in this country, there's this ongoing threat that you can't heal from it if it's still happening. Right. Mm -hmm. yes. yes. So how do you tell people to feel safe when they have very good reason not to feel safe in certain situations, you know? Um, and so it's just something I think about a lot that we can, we can try to offer. I mean, I, I think it's well worth um, supporting organizations like um, therapy for black girls, you know? Um, but also we, until we don't live in a, country where um or a world where black people and people of color feel unsafe calling the police you know or being in certain places or with certain people or whatever the case may be then you know how can that healing happen and i don't say that to be like hopeless but to be like realistic about actually sitting with that like white people actually sitting with that like how would it feel for you if what if you've experienced some trauma and you're out of it how would it feel to not be out of it you know mm -hmm. yeah wow I, I actually that was a really powerful 
they, that's just a powerful, you know, I'm a psychology major, so that, that study is very, um, has my mind going. And I think, wow, you know, like there's no, you said there's no one-to-one comparison between mice and humans, but like they're sentient beings. And mm-hmm. um, that does say a lot, um, you know, tremendously around that, around how we kind of keep trauma. And I, and I remember watching a, a woman who's, she did a TED talk and I'm blanking on her name, but she's a neurologist. Uh, a neuro doctor, I'm like banging on the term, but she um, was talking about the neurological pathways that get created. And when you're in utero, like your Mm. mother is actually laying those neurological pathways and wiring, like just like the wiring of a house. And if your mother's experiencing trauma while you're inside of her, those those pathways are being laid down. And so when you have this whole, like, you know, old euphemism of like, oh, you're turning into your mother or you're acting Mm -hmm. just like your dad. It's like, it's actually it's more than just, oh, you're acting like them. There's an actual becoming of them because they've given you like your actual heart, you know, hardware and software of how you react to trauma or what makes you nervous. And all that stuff is actually kind of inherited. So there's like this weird, yeah, you said two headedness uh, about like, how do we like carry the, the, the ancestral trauma and the things that we didn't even necessarily experience with our eyes and ears and when there are things that we're experiencing now with our eyes and ears that, that are reminiscent to that, you know, that, that throwback to um, the times of Tulsa and the times of slavery or the times of, of um, you know, the civil rights movement. So I think that that is like the biggest, um, that's like one of the biggest, I think, dilemmas that we're all having. And I think, you know, part of that is why I think um, people of color and black people have to kind of be really futuristic and future oriented mm-hmm. and why we have to constantly be in this perpetual state of like, we shall overcome or like in the future, or like, let's fucking be Octavia Butler and write like sci-fi, let's be in Wakanda. Let's like, we have to constantly be tumbling forward into a, as almost a science fiction future because it's like, we have to see that at some point we will be what we are meant to be and what we have um, kind of been striving for. And so there's a lot of conversation around like sci-fi and, and the black presence in sci-fi, um, even back from Star Trek days and why that's so like fundamental because black people are always perpetually having to live into some sort of future that doesn't exist around us right now. And so it's, it's, it's cool in a way because it kind of I think progresses music and it progresses the arts and it progresses conversations, but it's also like very exhausting as well. So then you have that burnout, you have escapism culture, you have like, you know, drink, drug, sex culture that maybe um, tapping into those ways to escape really heavily. So there's like, and then that taxes a people too. So there's just a lot of, there's a lot of ways that we can scatter. And I, and I also do think like for, you know, people, the non-black people that might be listening or, or people that, um, the people that I love who are white, um, you know, it doesn't mean like, you know, I, even as you were talking, I was even wondering like, damn, like what, 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 what would be the trauma of white people as well, like having ancestry that mm-hmm. was that's colonial, like what is the trauma of that experience? Yes, maybe you weren't degraded, but you did you degraded others. Like mm-hmm. that creates, uh, I would imagine, and maybe you could speak to this, I, mean, I don't know if you could or whatever, but um, I feel like that must also create a, a trauma around that like white guilt to the 10th power, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. In a sense of like, there's something there, you know, like, because I think that's the main thing that I, I always try to remember, remember about the slave trade and, and chattel slavery and, and all that is that it didn't just destroy black people or break our spirits. And the same thing with the Holocaust, it didn't just destroy the Jewish people. It, it really destroyed the people that were perpetuating it too. There, there was something that was a soul scar 
that was put onto the colonizer, put onto the imperialist, you know, um, put onto the fascist. And so I think that there's, like you said, healing that needs to happen on a grand scale. And I think in the past, the focus really has been more and should always really be on how, how do, how can we facilitate and help those who have been, um, disenfranchised and murdered and killed how can we facilitate their healing but then also how can we i think now the conversation which is why it's exciting for me and why it seems very distinctively different than the past um you know is that there's really a turning inward that i'm seeing from you know my white family members and, and sisters and brothers who are like really examining examining themselves and being like fuck, I need to look at myself and look at my own interest and, this, and make this about whiteness because it's not, it's not really about the otherness that it has been in the past. It really is about whiteness and the creation of it and why was it created? What is the trauma there? What is the fear that created the need, that created the need for this identification of white privilege? Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's, that's um, sorry, I'm getting some messages, but that's kind of like the, the big ask, you know, is like, I don't want to be invited to the table because that just implies that someone else owns the table mm -hmm. you know what i mean like fuck the whole table like get rid of the whole ladder like destroy it because that it always just implies that there's some level of ownership that isn't me so i rather there just be like a complete um rebuilding right now and you know these conversations are starting with honestly like being able to talk with you about this stuff like in any kind of public forum is is definitely revolutionary and definitely disruptive um and so I'm thankful for that. Yeah. And I'm, I really appreciate that framing of white people sitting with what oh, the trauma, when you talk about the patriarchy as well, like kind of, it's so important to, to sit with um, how are these things interwoven and what's my role? As you were saying that you were looking inward and feeling disturbed by your own you know, kind of protecting your father, participating in the patriarchy, which, by the way, I think makes complete sense because children, when there's abuse or, or just anything that feels like they know is off or it's not how it should be, they protect, they keep secrets, they protect their parents, they protect abusers, they, mm -hmm. um, they take that weight and that trauma on and internalize it and they, mm -hmm. they protect like it, that is, and that child is still in you. Right. Like, but yeah. the important thing is that you're, you have the awareness now and you're noticing and you can, you can go, Oh wait, little kid in me. Yeah. Um, we don't have to do that anymore. Like, Oh, that's interesting. And I think for me, like sitting with the, with that question that you posed about whiteness and trauma, it's like recognizing how white women how we lie to ourselves um, and to other people to protect ourselves um, and how we do not own and acknowledge and responsibly wield the power that we actually do have yeah. and how we wield the power that we do have against the wrong people instead of <laughs> It's hard in a patriarchal system for people to wield power against the ones who are who are at the absolute top of the chain wielding power sure. um but so often like we don't we don't as white women acknowledge the power that we have and that we know what we're doing when we mm -hmm. wield it against 
other people that we see as either at the same level of hierarchy or below us on the chain of power. Mm. And so like sitting with those, the feeling of like, how often am I protecting men and white men in particular and why, mm. and who do I wield my power against and how, and like, how has that been warped within me when I, when I've internalized the message that I don't have power, but mm. actually, and there are ways in which I don't, but then I actually do. And how do I warp that? And who do I wield it against? Even in your own home, I feel like there are so many women who are so angry. Mm. And where does that anger go? Mm. Mm. Wow. Um, yeah, certainly. I think, you know, sadness kind of turned inward and anger turned inward. It becomes depression, you know, like, um, and I think a lot of that anger and like, you know, I think does kind of like, like that same idea of an explosion. It kind of does implode and it does, it does explode and, and it affects, it affects so many people and like women, white and, and black and, and indigenous and, you know, are so important for the fabric of, of humanity and, um, you know, the silence and the erasure of the, of the, the matriarch and of the, the woman in our society is just such a huge, huge, intense missing. And, um, you know, there is this eco-feminism idea too of like how we treat women is how we treat the planet earth yeah. because we, we, you know, we, we say mother nature and we realize that the earth is very much a birthing being and how we treat women does mirror how we treat um, the planet earth and what we think she's capable of doing. It's like, okay, the earth can can stand this. It can take, you can take another like drilling and, and sourcing of it. You can do it. And it's like, we do the same thing with the women. We kind of just dump onto women and expect them to still show up and, and be beautiful and be, and be kind and, and be giving and be all these different things. Um, and I think that society as a whole, the patriarchy never really asks what, like what you just asked, which is like, what happens to all of that anger? Yeah. You know, it's like, no one gives, like the patriarchy doesn't give a shit what happens to that anger with women. It just doesn't care. And I think that the sooner and the more clearly, you know, women as a whole, especially white women in this conversation, you know, realize that like, whatever a Donald Trump person or doesn't really care about the suburban housewife like whatever <laughs> like whatever the hell that even means like you know what I'm saying and I'm saying this as a Jersey you know housewife or, or working you know what I mean like what does yes. that even mean like you know the sooner that that you know we kind of start to understand that like the patriarchy does not care about you it's literally just it's using you as a pawn um I think that that's just like an important understanding of things and um you know one thing that I think um, you asked so many great questions just now, but I think one thing that really during the, the time in between our first conversation and this conversation, I was obviously looking at things online and, and came across the Daughters of the Confederacy, which was like, I think actually what spurned this conversation for me was like, dude, like the Daughters of the Confederacy started in like the late 1800s in like Tennessee or, you know, and it's women who whose fathers and brothers and husbands were basically aging out of the civil war and were going to die off soon and who took it upon themselves to like, you know, try to preserve um, the Southern heritage and decided to like build all of these statues, you know what I mean? That you see the statues that are getting torn down. A lot of those were put up by the daughters of the Confederacy mm. as a way to hold on to and honor their fathers and their husbands and their sons um, for being a part of the civil war on the, on the side that lost. 
And it's just like this really mind blowing idea to think of like that, like everything that we're like, just like pointing out, like tear down the Columbus stone, tear, tear down the statue. It's like, we're, of course it's the patriarchy, but you're like, this was like a group of women and like a society of women who were like, we want to retell history the way that we want to tell it. And we want to, we want to cast our husbands and our fathers and our grandfathers and our sons as the victors and as the heroes, even though they were on the wrong side of history. And so you have like that, is why like Southern, like Southerners have a completely different idea of what the Confederate flag means than what it actually has meant. You know, they have a completely different textbooks and, you know, what my parents learned growing up in the textbooks, like all that was heavily influenced by the daughters of the Confederacy. And like, I think that's like such a powerful place for me to look and to point to of like, you know, how the feminist movement didn't really include, um, you know, the black experience and how a lot of black women had to choose in the seventies of like, okay, am I going to choose blackness or am I going to choose, you know, white, white women? And it's like, when women got what they, white women got what they needed, it kind of like we were cast to the shadows again. And so I think there's just like this awakening that has to happen with women and, um, and with like me and with you and with me recognizing the fact that like, yeah, I wasn't really being forthright about the power that my mom has and how amazing she was and i was really trying to um protect my dad from some sort of judgment by whoever i want to take a moment actually to just let you humanize your mom if you would like to like i'd love to just hear a little bit about your mom like what are some of her gifts what are some of her passions what are some of her strengths what are some of the things that drive you crazy about her maybe i don't know but anything that you any anything you would like to tell us about your mother she's just she's just dope like she's beautiful like people never believe she's the age that she is um she does not look like what she's been through um she has given me like yeah a lot of my um you know my good looks and my good genetics um you know come from her and she is just so resourceful. Like some of my earliest memories are like remembering just, you know, going grocery shopping with her before I was able to go to school and I was be with her all day, like doing these very domestic duties, but it was such a powerful and quiet and silent way of being a human. Like, you know, just like helping her, you know, hang up the laundry outside on the clothesline, you know, or helping her pick the groceries and, and like, you know, very mindfully picking up each piece of fruit and looking at it and plucking it to see if it was the right one and doing laundry for 11 people and folding everything and sorting things and just spending hours on like the caretaking, like washing dishes and soaking the greens and then cutting them and just seeing her hands peeling the potatoes and, and all without necessarily talking. And I think that that was just, it was like a very ancient, um, beautiful experience being groomed as a woman with her like so much of being a woman is that we caretake and that we put food into the mouths of our babies literally with our own bodies and with our own hands and it's the backbone of society and um it doesn't mean that it's any less essential you know even that that idea of like essential workers it's like really interesting because it's like you know four months ago like no one in new york city gave a crap about the, the people working at the bodega and people working you know at the laundromat and, and, and the supermarkets, but then like they're essential all of a sudden. And I feel like women are that. It's like, people don't realize like these, this is literally the oil that keeps us functioning as a country and as, you know, and it keeps us functioning as a family and a household. And so I remember all those different things that my mom taught me, which I feel like just 
allow me to stand apart from some of my other millennial peers of like, my mother like raised me as a woman in a really quiet, silent, um, deep knowing fashion. Um, and then just kind of taught me like the, you know, kind of the etiquette things, I guess you, I think of that are really like, you know, that I'd pushed against, like, okay, not wanting to wear, like, I don't want to wear, under, like, you know, pantyhose all the time. Like, I'm 15. I don't want to wear, like, stockings under my skirt and, you know, things like that. But her just kind of always um, being from an older generation of, you know, 1945 baby being like, this is how you, you know, you carry yourself in the world. And um, she was always very mindful of that with me. And I think that that does matter. And even now looking at that, about the way that, um, how I carry myself matters and how I groom my own children now and, and make sure that they're well taken care of. It doesn't, it's not so much about how they're perceived by the outside world and me being concerned of like, oh, are people going to think they're ghetto if they're like not, their hair isn't completely neat. It's more about them understanding that there's a way of being, that there's like a, a, an armor and a, a regality to being able to care for your own body and your, and your outward appearance. And I think um, my mom taught me that at a very young age. And, um, and I think that's still, that's still one of the things I'm proud of now as, as a, as a new, relatively new parent and as a woman, it's like, you know, um, and I try to find an intersectionality of like, okay, yeah, but I'm also like a hippie and I'm also very free spirited. But I think that I have this sense of like, I am woman and that's just undeniable. And I think a lot of that has to do with, um, how I was raised by my mother and how she consequently raised my sisters and how my sisters then raised me. Um, being kind, like being kind from like a very deep hearted place. Um, my mom has an intensely um, deep heart in the sense of where she's able to find love and compassion um, and understanding, which I think has facilitated why she was able to be in a marriage that was really like really tumultuous and um, traumatic for her, but was able to like still show up on a regular basis to like love her children and to like not bail on us, you know what I mean? To like be there fully to the, to the literally to the very, very end. Um, so there's a, a lot of um, just really powerful maternal energy that I've gotten from her that I'm just so indebted to and grateful for. And, and I hope to, you know, I remember talking to some of my friends and they were like, you've always been, when I got pregnant with Mighty, the second, my second child, they were like, you've always been so maternal. And I'm like, really? Like, what do you mean? We knew each other when we were 15 or 13. They were like, yeah, you always had a maternal thing of quality about you. And I was realized like, wow, that's really interesting. And I'm, I know I got that from my mom. Like, mm. um, it was just baked in, you know, like a caring of my friends and how people felt and like listening to them. Um, and I think that it's no coincidence that now my, my, passions of acupuncture or, or yoga uh, or conversation and, and has really been built on my deep listening to others and my deep like open earness and my mom's not a big talker she's really um is an observer and that's a beautiful quality that I I still try to like make sure I have a good balance of so yeah she's just um she's amazing and I, I hope if she's listening now she knows that and and also is able to uh yeah, forgive me for, for not, for trying to like, um, yeah, for not mentioning her and for like participating in any, any erasure of her presence and her influence. Yeah. I really appreciate all of that. And I think about how women are so often, even like you were saying for better or for worse, whether it's for worse in the, in the form of the daughters of the Confederacy or someone like your mom, women are bearers of culture 
and protectors and they do so much labor that is that goes unnoticed or unacknowledged that is so important that is like the fabric of who we are and makes up the majority of our days and our experiences of home and um, our lives even what you're saying about taking care of yourself your body and um and your kids it's like there's you're teaching your kids to respect themselves and see their bodies as something sacred you know that deserves respect and care it's like when people are really depressed what's one of the first things they stop doing is like showering you know mm-hmm. um it is important like we know um and so it's just really beautiful to hear you acknowledge all those things that are very easy to take for granted or to mourn if you didn't have that and not even be able to name really um, wow. for people who didn't have that. Wow. And um, those small things are like, I think the most important things to learn to do for yourself as an adult, especially if you didn't necessarily have that experience. And um you know, I think I mentioned to you when we talked on the phone that there's a book by Elizabeth Gilbert called Committed, um, and that there's a she talks in that book about the women in her family and how when she was younger she always wanted to be like one of the guys and she always preferred hanging out with her dad and her uncles and her grandpa because they were fun and they were making jokes and hanging out and playing cards. And she didn't realize until she was older, like, oh, that's because the women, my mom, my grandma, my aunts were all taking care of everything else. They were cooking, they were doing the dishes and cleaning up. Like they were setting the whole stage so that those men could just kick back and have fun. Um, And I think about everything that we're talking about man, I just think, um, it always ends up being women who are like, all right, we're going to step up and, and pick up this burden and this weight and, um, try to move it forward. And we, we do have power in that way and we can wield it for better or for worse. And, um, yeah, I just, I'm, I'm curious too, like, because I, I feel so often that women do so much of the emotional work and labor like has there been any reckoning or healing with your dad like has there been any acknowledgement of that pain or that hurt or his own his own reckoning with with the abuse or the pain that he caused yeah um I mean it's like an ongoing thing it's really interesting that you ask that because I think that if you asked the different siblings in our, in our family that we would all say something different like some people would say like he never said sorry some people would say like yeah he said sorry he apologized publicly and like you know so i think that we all have such different um vantage points from it but i i mean i have witnessed my father publicly apologizing to my mom mm-hmm. um for treating you know for ever apologizing that he ever you know apologizing and saying sorry for treating her in a way that was anything less than a queen like she should have been treated mm-hmm. so i have witnessed my dad doing that and really um, feeling sorrowful. And I have also witnessed my dad being very, um, you know, a bucking against that and being very self-righteous and, mm. and deflecting and doing the other qual- the things that he's, you know, very masterful at doing to, to, to move the attention away from him. Cause I mean, it's, a, I mean, I think like, like, I think that's actually a perfect example of like the healing and like, you have like, I'm not going to, for instance, for the sake of this argument, if we could frame my dad as 
the colonizer in this conversation and the person enacting power. And then you can frame my mom as the people that have been, you know, it's like both people have to struggle and fight for their, their healing. Mm -hmm. And both people are going to be um, affected deeply and wounded deeply by the actions of what they have participated in. And I think that that's just like something that's still present that I think, I mean, sometimes I feel like my dad has made amends and, and, and he's at peace. And I feel that way similarly to my mom. And then sometimes, you know, you just, you just, you just wonder because I mean, even as a child, you, you are, um, you know, an outside party at the end of the day and you're witnessing a relationship and you don't know the inner workings of every bit and bob of it. You know, um, I was able to see my grandmother, like really have forgiveness for, you know, my grandfather who, um, was not the best husband to her either. But then I also have experienced her still, you know, at 90, 90, she's 97 now, but at, in her nineties, like still, um, sharing really traumatic experiences that she had during that marriage. And that were almost like yesterday for her. So it's almost like, I think that the healing process, if we could live to be a thousand years old, we would still be healing things. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't yeah. know, like we would ever be like, okay, yeah, I'm totally good on my childhood. Like, and I'm 900 <laughs> years old. I feel like it was so there, you know? Yes. Um, and so I feel like, um, you know, and that's just a testament to like how, you know, how our history is just like, there's not going to be any moment where we can just put like the green check emoji on something and be like, done, like racism solved, like white supremacist delusion done. Like, I don't know that, um, you know, even five generations from now, I wonder what it would be like to meet you know, our great, great grandchildren mm. and what they might be dealing with on a societal level. I am so curious to like see that, but I also want to make sure that like we completely wring this thing out of this life and we get every, we do all the work that we can do right now to, to push everything forward for them and give them the alley-oop. So, um, I think all the generations are trying to do that. And it's an honor to be able to like still walk the earth with some of the older generations, like my parent and my grandparents. But at the same time, we're still seeing the ways that they're almost like short-circuiting and healing. And I think it's also weird to be on the planet with people who are like a elk of Donald Trump. It's like, okay, are these people just gonna like, are these white supremacists and you know, are they just gonna eventually die off? But it's like, but it never dies off. It's like, it, it lives in us. And so we have to constantly be looking for that foul odor of white supremacy and and of of hatred and of separatism and we all speak that language fluently you know in this country of fat phobia of transphobia of ageism you know tr of ableism like we all talk that language very easily you know what i mean i'm like oh i'm so fat or i can't you know i, mean, I can't you know just whatever things are that we say it's like it's so um it's reeks of our privilege and um we all, me as a black woman, I definitely have a lot of work to do. So I just feel like we need to constantly be looking for that, that putrid smell and be figuring out what's rotten. What do we have to throw out? What ideas are tired that wear us out? What ideas are like suffocating us and get rid of them. And then also don't assign it to ourselves. It's like, I'm not that odor. Mm. I let I let that odor be there. I let that food go off. I let the garbage stay there for too long. Now I'm going to take it out and now I'm going to like be mindful moving forward. And I think that now my kids are watching me do that work. You know what I mean? And I think that it's, it's kind of that exercise, it's, you know, and I, I need to not let myself get completely crestfallen by the fact that like, oh no, I let this happen. I mean, if, you know, if, to an extent we're human, right? Like we have to process our trauma, how you process it. But I think that we also need to be 
in action as much as we can. Um, and, and that's why you have this like resurgence of these books, like, act, you know, how to be an, an actively an anti-racist or how to, because I think we realize that it, it is an action. It's not just like a, 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 um, a theory and, a, and something I've been reading about, like I did in college, you know, for four years, like reading about AFAM and African-American history. It's like, this shit is real. Like it's, it's like three-dimensional, it's happening. There's like things I need to do today to like, to, to push against it, to, to amplify black voices. And like you're doing right now by, by allowing me to speak on your platform. It's like, that's an action that you had to take and a time that you had to, to carve out for this conversation. And that's, those are the steps that have to happen. It, it's, um, it's real, you know? Yeah. And it's a complete privilege for me to talk to you and for you to share this with me. And I think I, it's so interesting how we kind of loop around to there, there's so much power, there is so much power in the past and some of that's trauma and it's really heavy. And then there's also like strength in, in knowing that you somehow got to this point, like your ancestors somehow got you to this point. Like you just, you talked about the different women who raised nine children or 11 children or whatever. And then, like you said, kind of the power of looking into the future and envisioning um, new worlds and new ways of being and um, a safe world for everybody. Um, And I, I just think like we all have cycles on a personal level and on a collective level that it would be amazing if we could break them. And there's so many tiny choice points in a day when we can like chip away at that. And even just so many points in a day when we can, we can stop the cycle by making a different um, decision like you did by saying, oh, I'm not going to erase my mom's story. I'm actually going to make a different choice. Like you, you created a new way in that moment. You turned away from the old cycle and the old pattern. And some, the most helpful thing in therapy for me has been my therapist. When I start, when I notice something in myself, that's disturbing, that's ugly, that I don't like, that's scary, whatever it may be. She's always like just slowing me down and saying, okay, so just, just notice that, Mm. just notice it. And that's for something like, I mean, you're a yoga teacher, you know, working with your breath or your body. Like if you can slow, just slow down and notice what's happening and don't be afraid to notice it. Mm. And don't, like you just said, don't be, don't start beating up on yourself. Like, Oh God, I did it again. I, I did that thing. If you can notice it and put some space around it and like, it's all deeply personal, but it's all not personal too, because there is so much (laughs) that we've inherited and been conditioned into that. If you can be like, this is a deeply personal choice. And it's also so much bigger than me. So if I can just stop and notice and breathe, maybe I can make tiny different choices, you know, and um, how amazing would it be if I could break some cycles and we're not going to do it all, but identifying some really important ones for us, you know? Yeah, it's beautiful. Like, yeah, everyday, yeah, one of my teachers, Summer, will always say, like, just be an everyday healer. Like, just be an everyday, just a little bit every day. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like you said, like the small choices and, and, and things, you know, that makes the big difference in the end, for sure. Um, yeah, I just want to thank you again for this, this opportunity. This has been tremendously, like, illuminating for me. And, and um, I'm so thankful to be able to, like, have a, a reference point to listen back um, at this very 
monumental moment in time for, for us in this generation, you know, this conversation and these conversations will, I think, be touchstones for, um, you know, my kids and as they grow older, our family members and um, people to be able to listen to and, and receive some wisdom from. And I think that um, that all is, like you said, these little choices, little ways of, of being vulnerable and fumbling around and saying the wrong things and, you know, making a mistake, like having a beautiful conversation for an hour and then being like, wait, full stop, there was an issue there. Let me go back and, and readdress that. Like, it could have been easier for me just to be like, oh, it was fine. My mom will get over it. Or like, she's taking it personal. Like, you know, I could have, but I, I think that you're right. There's like a, a lot of power and vulnerability. And that's something that women through and through have been able to, I think, inform society is that there's nothing weak about being a woman or like when somebody says, oh, this person's a pussy. It's like a pussy is the strongest thing that there is. It literally yeah. breaks open and like gives birth and heals back. Like, so for me, it's like, you know, the, that's what I'm saying. Like our language is just so, it's so wrought with patriarchy and so wrought with these types of, um, of terms that, that degradate women and, and the power of the feminine. And, and I think that um, my hope and my prayer and my wish and my meditation and my dharma is that like women um, are able to really step into our power, not because um, someone's inviting us there. I do hope that happens too, but also because we simply just like rise up as well um, and it becomes undeniable. And, and the last thing I want to say is like, you know, I always thought it was so powerful for me to think about because I also want to dedicate a lot of this conversation to my grandma um, who's 97 as of like last month. But, you know, as women, you know, you are in your grandmother's womb, mm -hmm. you know, like your mother has her eggs when she's in utero and you were one of those eggs. And it's so powerful for me sometimes to think about that of like, I was in someone's womb who was here from 1923 and just figuring out like all the downloads and all of the, the strength and the vision that that experience gives me. And, and it's, there are, there is trauma there, but I think there's a lot more power and, um, I just want to keep my attention focused there as much as I can. Yes. Thank you. Thank it's you. a huge privilege for me to have these conversations with you. And um, I'm really, really grateful. I learn a lot. And my intention is to keep striving. And I know it will be imperfect, but just to not forget to keep striving to actually earn, to earn your trust to earn the trust of black women and women of color, especially, you know, um, because certainly my white, my white ancestors, and even I'm sure actions of my own, um, throughout my life haven't, haven't built, um, trust, you know, it has to be earned. So, so that's my intention. And I really, really appreciate, really appreciate you and all of your time and, uh, all the work that you're doing in the world because it's really important and you are the real deal. <laughs> Thank you so much, Victoria. I really, I'm over the moon. I'm super psyched. I, yeah. Thank you everyone for listening and yeah, let's do this. <laughs> let's go. <laughs> <time>. <laughs> all right. Say hi to Corey. I will. I will. He's like trying to keep the children on the other side of the house. Yeah. Right now. I'm like, at the door. I was like, yeah. trying to, like, mommy, where is, where are you? <laughs> I'm like locked in my room. Um, <laughs> I'll yeah. let you get back to them. Yeah. All right. Have a good night. You too, love. Peace. Okay. Okay, be safe. You too. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Perennials podcast. I'm Victoria Russell. 
If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with a friend, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and leave a review on iTunes. It really helps other people to find the show. You can follow along on Instagram at Perennials Podcast, and feel free to send me an email at perennialspodcast at gmail.com. The song you're hearing now is I Orbit the Moon by Paul Finn.